postcard today, uh, not today, actually, it was the other day, from um, an organization in town called Good Samaritan of, Ga of Garland. And um, they were blessed by this church with a blessing. And the lady said, she said, after feeding like 400 and, uh, was it 475 or sub 400, huh? 420 Thanksgiving baskets and interviewing clients. They were exhausted from doing all this. They went and sat down at their desk and opened an envelope from New Life Fellowship Church. And they just were so overwhelmed because you all are giving to the hungry and, and blessing others. And we, this has been happening lately, and we keep getting wonderful responses. And I just want you to know, this is not just a season for presents. This is a, a season to give to those in need. In fact, God's going to give you, I think, divine appointments. I had a divine appointment the other day just where talking to somebody, they said to me, we want to bless children. By the way, can, is there any children we can bless in your church? I said, yes. So God's opening up doors of blessing. So it never, never hurt, is harmful to put a little extra into the, the basket that, God, you just take this and you multiply it. Yes. And then I, I've heard of other people that are in the store and the Lord lays someone on their heart and they will just go and take care of a need in the store and nobody even knows about it but God. So look for opportunities to give and God will bless you. This week we have Monday night prayer. And then uh, we have Wednesday night service, and uh, we're going to have a water baptism. And if you've never been baptized in water, this is one of the things that Jesus has asked us to do, is to be buried with him in water baptism. There's a sign-up sheet out there in the foyer. The class is at 6 o'clock in Pastor Ray's office, and then at 7 o'clock we have a service. And just come and be blessed. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. All right. Well, if you would take your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're coming into the holiday seasons. And how many are you out there are just so full of turkey right now and ham and mashed potatoes? And I bet you... you are just glad that you don't have to see another turkey for a whole year. Anybody out there like that? Well, that's where I'm at right now. Uh, we've, we had such a tremendous time of Thanksgiving at our house and family and friends. and I know you did too. And the Lord just blessed us. How many of you know it's a blessing to be with family? It's a blessing to be with our spiritual family and by the way, I want to thank everybody for coming out this morning. I know we are kind of got a thinned out crowd here. People are gone, and it's Thanksgiving weekend. But I have a word from God. Amen. I got a word from the Lord, and I believe it's a word that's going to take us over the top. I believe it's a word that's going to quicken our hearts this morning. 
Because God is speaking a now word, amen? And he's speaking a word that his plan and purpose is for, it, for us to prosper and be in health. And his, his desire and plan for our life is to make an influence and to be salt and light in the earth. And I want to pray right now and uh, as we go into the word of the Lord this morning, because I'm going to be, the title of my message again, I'm on a series entitled, Moving from My World into His World. Moving from my world into his world. Can you say that with me? Moving from my world into his world. You see, God's plan is to take you from the ordinary into the extraordinary. God's plan is to take you out of weakness, bring you into strength. His plan is to move you from death into life. His plan is to make your life, bring you out of the mundane, just the normal way of life, and really bring salt, life, abundant life in you, give you a vision, a purpose in life. You are not here, we are not here just abiding time so that we can just wait for Jesus to come. Jesus called his plan. In Matthew 6, when he gave us the outline for prayer, he said this, that when you pray, he says, to say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our plan, God's plan for the church is to usher heaven into earth. Amen. And whether you're in school, whether you're on a job, whether it's in your community, around in the neighborhood, God's plan and purpose is for us to usher kingdom life. And we're going to be looking this morning for a few minutes at the life of David. David in the Bible, was a king. He's one of the most wrote about. He, he's, he's, he's most written and wrote about in the Old Testament. And the Bible refers to David as a man after God's own heart. We know that David uh, also was a very human man. We see his humanity. We see that David not only committed adultery, David also in his life, uh, deceived people. He also is guilty of murder. Uh, it's amazing that God has taken a man who was a murderer, an adulterer, a liar, a deceiver, uh, and sometimes he was almost crazy. There were times when he was running from Saul that David just turned into a crazy guy. Even the Philistines were uh, shocked by his craziness at one time. The Bible says he, he became as one who was mad because he was under such stress in his life. But aren't you grateful God can take a man where that is and bring him out and use him for God's glory? And that's why there's hope for us today. But we're going to just look for a few minutes. And, and what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning is an important message because uh, uh, it has to do with breaking generational curses. We're going to talk about moving from my world into his world. Breaking generational curses. How many of you have ever heard the term generational curses? Generational curses. Now, some of you may say, well, pastor, we're, we're not, under, not under the curse of sin, the curse of the law, and that's true. Jesus has broken the curse and the power of sin in our life. When he rose from the dead, he took the keys of death from Satan, rose from the dead, the Bible says, when he rose, you rose. And when you were raised, he seated us together with Jesus. The Bible says he seated. Everyone say seated. Now that's an important position. 
Because the idea of being seated, first of all, means that you're at a place of rest. God wants you to know that we have entered into rest, but at the same time, being seated means that you are in a place of complete and total victory. When kings won battles, you know what they did? Kings became seated at their throne. It signified rest, but it also signified their complete and total victory over their enemy. They were a seated or a sitting king. In other words, there was no worry, there was no fear, because their dominion, their their kingdom was unshaken. It speaks of their uh, power. It speaks of their dominion, their victory, and their authority. They are seated. The Bible says that all of us this morning are a kingdom of kings and priests. Turn to your neighbor and says there's kingship in you. There's the life of a king. You, we're, we're called to be kings. We're called to be priests. David was the, one of the first kings. He was actually the second king that Israel was installed But he was the king over Israel at the time. In fact, the only time, even to the very present time of our age today, Israel was considered a a tremendously powerful, it was a world world power. God had given uh, David complete victory with all of his enemies. In fact, if you go back into the second Samuel, Chapter 1, clear into 2 Samuel 10. You will find that these are the most prominent, powerful days of Israel's existence. And in fact, all the Jews, even to this day, when they go back into in the Old Testament, from 2 Samuel chapter 1, from the time that David came into Jerusalem under his third anointing, as he was anointed by the priesthood of Abathar and the priesthood of Zadok, And they set him in as king, and he was anointed there, his third anointing in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that the Lord began to cause David to prosper and caused him to have favor uh, among all of the children of Israel. And the Bible says that David knew within his heart that God had actually exalted and raised and caused his kingdom to prosper. Now, I want to say this to all of us. When we read Old Testament scriptures, it is so important that we realize that when we read this about the life of David, David was one man among a kingdom, but God intends for us as New Testament believers to realize that we are to have the same kind. He wants us to have influence. He wants us to have that same victory and power and life that even David had under the Old Testament. Now, the Holy Spirit baptism wasn't present under the Old Testament. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them, but it did not dwell inside of them. Not until we get into Acts chapter 2, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came upon the early church. And today, we are to be people filled with power and life. Now, David represents something under the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant. He represents something that power, that's powerful, and David is con- referred to as a man after God's own heart. And we find here that in his pl- this place, he's experiencing amazing victory. He's experiencing amazing uh, 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 success. And, and everything he does, just God prospers him up until this point. But when we get into 2 Samuel chapter 9, 
We see something in the heart of David that really reflects the very heart of God. And like I've said, I've been on this series on the baptism and the ministry of the Holy Spirit upon us and in us for the past several weeks and moving from our world into his world. And as we look at this, we see David exemplify something that all of us need to have in relationship to one another. How many of you know that we know that we've passed from death into life because we love one another? Love is so important. God, David wasn't just out winning battles and slaying the enemy, but there was something in the heart of David that really reflected the very heart of God. And so in this passage, which is such a powerful passage of restoration, David begins to search out someone who in this time and in this age would have been rejected, written off as a failure, as a defeated. And David begins to search out a man or anyone from the house of Saul. Now, when it comes to breaking generational curses, let let me tell you, first of all, what a generational curse is, because it's possible to be saved. It is possible to be born again. It is possible to know that you're a king and a priest in the kingdom of God. But it's also possible to have certain strongholds in your life that keep you limited and keep you in a place where you're not living in the victory. I know a lot of believers today, they know the Bible, but they're not walking in the victory that Jesus has provided for them. Let me give you an example or just a definition of what a generational curse is. And I'm not here to magnify the power of the enemy or the curse itself, but let me just tell you what it is. A generational curse has to do with any negative tendency, any particular habit, any destructive behavior or attitude that manifests in some form of action that harms oneself or others that may feel, uh, that they may come to feel is actually normal. That's what a generational curse is. One time at the builder years ago, I came into a home and I was giving a bid and there was such turmoil in this home. And there was such anger and just just their, their conversation was so... Uh, literally just gutter talk. And, but I remember when I walked into the home, I was building or giving a bid on redoing the countertops in their kitchen. But the, the spirit and the atmosphere in that home was so toxic that I could not even do my figures. I was measuring their kitchen out. And I literally had to turn aside. I, I never did this to clients. But I literally turned to the clients and I said, folks, you know, I'm trying to bid your kitchen here. I tell you, I'm having a hard time thinking while you're talking right now. And that's the way I put it, while you're talking. But what I really wanted to tell them is, will you please shut up? I mean, their, 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 their mouth, their spirit, their attitude. And what the response to me was from them was they started laughing. And this, <laughs> we're, we're like this all the time. And I'm thinking to myself, when I came into that house and I was in that kitchen for five minutes, there was such stress and depression and anxiety upon my, I couldn't 
even think. And I'm thinking to myself, this, this house, I'm here trying to bid a home or bid a kitchen for these people. Again, I, I never knew them, never, but, but, but there was such, such toxicity and such poison in the atmosphere. And there was such negative name-calling and putting people down and, and such pessimism. It, it literally just took my peace away. And, and I, I was just literally under my breath saying, Father, just give me strength to get through this. In fact, I remember doing this, which I didn't, whole, didn't do a whole lot of this, but I remember bidding the job so high, thinking that if I got the job, it would have had to have been God because I didn't want to come back there. I mean, it, it, was, just, it was just that bad. But what I come to realize is there are people that live in that environment all the time and they think it's natural and they think it's normal. And I'm here to tell you, that's not normal. That's not natural. And we as Christians should never succumb to accepting that name-calling and unforgiveness and toxicity is the norm. It's not the norm. And how many of you know that one thing that Jesus did for all of us by washing us with His blood and giving us the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is to renew our minds so that you and I will begin to take leadership and begin to rise as influencers in our nation or even if it means even in our families and say, listen guys, we don't need to talk like this. We don't need to be like this. We can set a new standard. We can set the bar where we begin to walk in honor. Everyone say honor. We begin to walk in love. We begin to walk in forgiveness. In other words, we can be the generation that breaks generational curses that came from great-grandpa to grandpa to daddy to mama right into our... We can break the curse that has come from generations in our life. You can be a generation... Uh, 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 the beginning of a new generation. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? In fact, many of you are. Many of you who have received Christ, you've received Jesus in your life, do you know the blessing of God rests upon you right now? The blessing of God is upon your life? And one of the ways you know the blessing of the Lord is upon you is that you see life in your marriage. You see peace. There's righteousness. You rejoice in righteousness. You rejoice in life. You cannot have peace. You're not at peace when there's garbage coming out of your television. If you're a man and woman of God, you've broken generational curses. You can't watch rotten TV. You can't listen to rotten music. You can't listen to stuff that begins to destroy your peace or bring division in the home. You're a man, you're a woman who begins to say, Wait a minute! As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord in this place. We're not going to allow negative talking. We're not going to allow negative speech. and We're not going to allow sin to reign. We're going to call sin for what it is. And it's not going to have any place or dominion in my house. God's looking for leadership like that. That's what David did in the Bible. David was a man after God's own heart. Breaking generational curses does not mean that you're an individual that has no faults. It doesn't mean that you're an individual that doesn't 
uh, are not tempted with weaknesses. In fact, the Bible says that even a righteous man may fall seven times. But the fact that he's righteous is he gets up. Everyone say, get up. The fact that you're not righteous because you don't fall. You're righteous because if you do fall, you don't stay down. You get up. When you're a righteous man, a righteous man who breaks curses, does not allow the word divorce to be in his vocabulary. Because he's a man, he's a woman who says, you know what, honey, we've been walking through the fire. We've been going through a lot of difficult times. But as for me and my house, we're going to pray, we're going to seek the Lord, and we're going to press through until we get breakthrough. My wife and I, we've not had a perfect marriage. We've been married for 37, 38 years. But I'll never forget in the first beginning years of our marriage, I remember in my second year of marriage, there was times where I never thought that I would make it through into my second year. Carol and I were arguing. We had so many disagreements. We were not uh, uh, seeing things eye to eye. And now we we would come to prayer. I, we even went into council with Pastor Iverson, my pastor. And one of the things that I had come to realize in my second year of marriage <clears throat> that was different from Carol's background, I came out of a very negative background that was normal, that I grew up to think was normal. <clears throat> and I, I didn't realize that that, that that was not supposed to be that way. I just succumbed to thinking that, you know, just venting your anger and venting your mind was okay. And I come to realize that that's not the way a Christian who's walking in victory should be acting or talking. And and the Lord really began to to, uh, deal with my spirit. He dealt with me through my pastor, dealt with me through other leaders and Christian brothers. And by the way, that's why it's so important to stay in the body of Christ and the church. I had a pastor who was not afraid to confront me and speak into my life. And I'm so grateful that I did not run when he began to speak into my life. I needed what he had to say. Thank God for that man of God. I so appreciate his love. But he spoke into my life and he began to give me wisdom, began to give me counsel. And he said, Ray, one of the things that you have as a problem is that you have a poor, toxic self-image of yourself. You have a wrong, wrong attitude about who you are and where you've come from. I remember used to despising my past. I used to despise it. I used to uh, knock some things, and the Lord began to deal with me about forgiveness and changing my attitude, even where I came from. And, and uh, I said, Lord, if I would have only had different things and different people to be around, things could have been a lot better. And the Lord said, no, I want you to learn to be grateful. I want you to learn to be thankful even where you've come from. And I said, I can't, because it's where I came from that's where I developed all these bad habits. I don't know about you, but I, I, I remember used to blame my dad and blame my mom. And, and the Lord said, Ray, you have a wrong attitude. And I remember the Lord dealt with my spirit, dealt with my attitude. He says, I gave you the father. I gave you the mother that you have. And you've come, and even though there's been issues and problems and, and some 
toxic issues. I gave you grace, which is sufficient to bring you out of that. And in fact, I've even allowed you to be where you are and be brought up with the people that you've been brought up with for the purpose of showing my glory in your life. How many of you know that not all our past and not, not all the things that we've come through are to give glory to the devil, but these things are for the glory of the Lord. Remember one day when, when there was a blind man and Peter came up to Jesus and said, Whose sin here, Lord? Was it his parents or his family? And Jesus said, No one has sinned, but this is for the glory of God. And we need to learn to take where we've come from and what we've walked through, whether it's a bad past, a bad family background, maybe there's been a toxic atmosphere. Instead of glorifying the devil by cursing what you've come from, learning to say that God's going to get the glory from this, no matter what I've come through. Learn to turn things around. Can you say amen? Breaking generational curses starts with the foundation of having a renewed mind by choosing what you choose to look at. The Bible says we all, we all beholding as in the glass darkly the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. The key is not looking in the past. The key is looking to Jesus. The key is looking to Jesus. Can't you say amen? Paul could have looked at the past. David could have looked at the past. We all could look at our past today. We can say, boy, I have a lot to be disappointed. I'm disappointed with that. I'm disappointed with that person. I'm disappointed with how they hurt me and what they said about me. I'm disappointed that I didn't get a fair chance like others got. That's what the devil wants you to do is waller in self-pity. Let me just say this. Self-pity is the devil's playground. The devil wants you to feel sorry for yourself. There's nobody that is in self-pity. Anyone that that opens the door to self-pity literally locks in those generational curses where you will not change. When you begin to feel sorry for yourself, then you begin to live with that sense of entitlement. And there's nothing more dangerous than people who feel entitled to be the way they are because of where they come from. That's a dangerous place. I'm entitled to have this attitude because of where I came from. No, you're not entitled for that. Jesus died on the cross to break that curse so that you can be a new creature in Christ. Can you say amen? In the life of David, in this passage, and my time's going, I'm obviously not going to get through this this morning, but I want to address just a few things here in verse 1, chapter 9. Remember, this is in the height of his kingdom, success, prosperity, favor. He's winning battles. But I love right here, verse 1, chapter 9, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. It says, now David says, is there still any, anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Can you say amen? Isn't it amazing how far God's grace will go? Is there any? Everyone say any. 
See, grace looks for any. And I love where the grace is focused. Any of the house of Saul. Anyone knows back in these Bible days, the history. Saul had a reputation. Have you ever known somebody that's had a bad reputation? Have you ever known someone that's carried with them an identity crisis? Saul and his entire family carried an identity, carried with them a stigma. It was a stigma of defeat and failure. It was a stigma that this man had been rejected by the Lord. Now, it wasn't that God rejected him, but it was because Saul rejected God. And the Bible says that Saul ended up going to the witch of Endor. And because of that, and he, because he opened up that satanic, demonic door, God did, could not speak to Saul because he turned his back on the Lord. Saul, for 40 years, the Bible says that when David came in to Jerusalem, <clears throat> one of the first things on David's agenda was to seek the Ark of the Covenant. And you'll find it in the book of Chronicles where it says that in all of the years of Saul, not once, not once did they ever pursue the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. It represented the very power and the life of God. Not once did Saul ever pursue the presence of God. He was not a man of prayer. He was not a man of the presence. And when he got in trouble, he only came to Samuel the prophet to see if Samuel would somehow stroke his ego and, and affirm him uh, as king before the people. But he had no heart for the Lord. But what was so sad is because of this man's decision, this father's lack of insight, it affected his entire family. How sad. How one man can affect the domino affected his children, his grandchildren. Jonathan died. His son died. His other sons died in battle because Saul was not seeking the Lord. And we find here that in this passage that David is seeking and he's asking, is there, any, is there anybody of the house of Saul? By the way, folks, do you know that the Holy Spirit, even today, the Father is still crying out, is there anybody of the house of Saul? Because the house of Saul represents that place of sin. It represents that place of rejection. It represents the place of failure. It represents a place where people are far away from the Lord. But yet it's the Spirit of God through David as he requests in his own court there. He says, is there any, is there anyone still of the house of Saul? By the way, do you know that 2 Samuel 9 is 15 years after David had been anointed king? This is 15 years later. By the way, just to let you know this historically, usually when you had a king who had failed and was in defeat, and, you, and we know that Saul had hunted down David. If you read his, his life story, Saul hunted down David out of jealousy and envy and sought to kill David. Usually when the uh, king, when, when that king uh, was aside, 
And, and, the, and David would come into, into his place of uh, kingship and ruling. It was usually the right of the successor to bring and find all of the kids in the family, bring them out and kill them and destroy them. But that was not David's heart. David's heart was not to take vengeance. His heart was not to get uh, 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 and to strike them. What David does here is David's desire in his heart is to show mercy. That, that's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of God. And he seeks him out. And in this passage here, we find here in verse 2, and it says, There was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. And when he had called him to David, the king said unto him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness, the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So that the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Makar. By the way, the, the, the house of Makar was a wealthy man on the east side of Jordan. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew, it means a salesman. Makar was a salesman. And what he was into was peddling flesh. He was into peddling individuals, vagabonds, and slaves. Basically, Mephibosheth, who happens to be the grandson of Saul, gets lost. He wants to just kind of get lost. He doesn't want to be found. He doesn't want to discover. But Makar adopts him. He adopts him when he's young as an orphan. He's a very wealthy man in Lodabar. The word Lodabar means the lower places. It means to be without pasture, without home. It literally means a, a vagabond. Here Mephibosheth, the grandson who, who should have an inheritance, part of, of, of coming into the dynasty of, of what Saul could have had. Here, here's a man who's now running because of mistakes grandpa made. Granddad made some bad mistakes. And all of the family is suffering because of really a sad, sad situation. But what is so beautiful about this is David says, is there any of the house of Saul? That this is the beautiful thing about God's grace here, is God's grace and God's love always restores. It always seeks you out and finds you. And when he finds you, he will always restore to you what the enemy meant for evil. God comes to... Isn't that awesome about God's love and grace here? Doesn't matter what family background, doesn't matter if the domino effect, if, if, if generation girl curses big fall upon your life, we find here that in the midst of all this, David begins to seek out those of the house of Saul. He doesn't come and reward them with shame. He doesn't come and remind them of their past. He doesn't come and let them know, I want you to know your granddad was pretty mean to me. Doesn't do that. He doesn't bring any of that up. He says, there's only one reason I want to see you, man. I just want to show you love. There are four things in this passage, which I'm going to give you really quickly. My time is gone already. There are four things that we find that in breaking generational curses, this is what he does. The first thing he does is he seeks them out of hiding. 
God's grace will never, God's grace, God's love will not stop until he finds you. How do you know if you're found? How do you know if you're really found? You know how you know you're found? Let me tell you how you know you're found. It's when God begins to see you and he begins to remind you how much he loves you and the plans that he wants to give for your life. One of the ways you know you're found is when people begin to speak into your life concerning the great things that God has for you. You need to recognize that that's not just a coincidence. When someone comes into your life and begins to speak promises and speaks vision and speaks future, that's the Holy Spirit. There's been many times I will come up, and I know it's the Holy Spirit. I've come up to people, and I'll say, Do you know, Randall, you're a mighty man of God. God has awesome things for Randall and Orpha. Some of you might think, well, Pastor Ray, you're just paid to say that. You're the pastor of the church. No, that's not the case. You may not think so, but in the book of James, it says that he that prophesies or he that speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. You know what that means? It means to speak as though God is actually saying it. And so when someone comes and gives you a promise, gives you a word and says, Liz, there's an amazing future. God's hand is upon you to prosper you, to bless you on your right hand and on your left hand. It is not just a word from Pastor Ray because he's on salary. It is the Holy Spirit. It is a word of restoration. It is a word that defines boundaries. It sets a course for your future. And you know what we need to do? We need to wrap our minds around that and we need to take a hold of that promise and say, that's mine. That's what I do. Because it's not just a word from the pastor. It's a word from God. Praise God. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. I'll never forget years ago. A man by the name of Les Pritchard came to our church. And uh, he was from Canada. And I was kind of going through a season. I was backsliding. I was backslidden. I was a single guy. And I was backsliding and going through a real difficult time. And it was on a Wednesday night service, a midweek service. And he had an altar call at the end of the service. And there was maybe 20, 30 people. And, and he comes right down and kind of moves people aside, not that they are not, everyone's important, but he moves them aside and I'm kind of sitting in the back and I'm intentionally hiding. Have you ever hid from the preacher? It's okay to raise your hand right now, praise God. Well, I was hiding from the speaker. In fact, you know, he was standing up there and I made sure my head was behind the head of the guy standing in front of me. I didn't want to be seen. Well, he comes and he looks around, hey, hey, you, you, come here. He says, God has his hand on you. He says, you are like Jonah. You're running and you've been in the belly of a whale and God wants to put your feet and plant it on the beach and the word of the Lord is coming to you a second time. God is the God of a second chance and it's time for you to shake yourself off from pity and feeling sorry for yourself and woe is me and it's time to arise and be the man of God he called you to be. I was 21 when he said that to me and I'm sitting there just saying, 
well, I wonder if my pastor talked to him. He's reading my mail. And my, my, my brain was doing it. Brother Dick must have told him everything. Isn't that amazing how the devil likes to just spoil the Word of God? Oh, I, I, Pastor Ray must have been talking to the new preacher because the guy sure read my mail good. I mean, that's how the devil works. Well, guess what? I come to find out that Les Pritchard did not talk to my pastor, and so it really made me realize, well, this was God. I was, I was belittling the Word of God. If you're going to break generational curses, we've got to start believing. God's going to single you out. He's going to call you out. He's going to speak into your situation. He's going to bring a today word. It's going to bring a, a word of, thank you, Lord. Amen. I didn't. A word of revelation, a word of life. Just like Mephibosheth, David said, is there any? God's looking. The Holy Spirit's calling today, is there any? And when he comes, notice what happens down in the passage here. When, when Ziba goes and he finds Mephibosheth in the house of Makar and Lodabar, brings him out. Can you imagine? He had to come. He had to learn to let go. Everyone say, let go. When God begins to call you, you've got to learn to release. You've got to let go of fear. Everyone say fear. I've got to learn to let go of fear. I've got to learn to bring into captivity every argument and every thought and every vain imagination. Everyone say vain imagination. There's nothing that holds people in the past and into bondage more than vain imagination. Lies of the enemy. Vain arguments. Those kind of things hold you back. And I remember, uh, we find here in the scripture here, that, that, that Mephibosheth, I'm sure, as he's heard, that the king has found me. He's probably thinking, my day's come. Now I'm going to be hatcheted, I'm going to be killed, because I know my grandfather was trying to kill this new king, David. He's probably going to give, take his revenge out on all of the family members. But when he comes into the presence of King David, the atmosphere is different. People are happy. They're actually smiling as they're looking at Mephibosheth. He's confused because he hasn't been around that kind of an atmosphere. He hasn't been around faith. He hasn't been around life. He hasn't been around hope. He hasn't been around anything that, that, that builds and cultivates vision and love and life. He's been running all of his life in fear. Concerned about being caught because he's the grandson of a man who rejected the Lord, rejected God, tried to kill this present king. Instead, he comes into the presence of King David. And the Bible says, as you read, it says Mephibosheth threw himself on the floor. And this was the words out of Mephibosheth's mouth. He says, who am I that you should look upon such a dead dog as I am? I'm a dead dog. That was his sense of identity. That was his sense of reality. Because of a generational curse. Why would you even look upon me a dead dog? Can you imagine that? 
But you know what? There's people in the body of Christ that think that, that, that way today. How could God ever use me? How could God ever see anything? You don't know my past. You don't know the generations. You don't know the toxicity. You, you don't know the baggage I come with. You don't know what I've been through and what I've done. You have no idea the stuff that's in my life. And yet in the presence of David the king, it didn't matter. All that mattered in the heart of David is that David sought to restore. Sought fellowship. Sought relationship. He says, is there any of the house of Saul that I might show the kindness of God? Everyone say kindness. Do you know God wants to show kindness to you? Do you know that doesn't matter what you've come through, the baggage you have, the past you hold, it doesn't matter how many generations of toxicity and, and testimony that you carry and the baggage you carry, it matters nothing to God because where sin abounds, His grace doth much more abound. And David stands there, and the first thing, I love what it says down in verse 7, and David said, do not fear. The beautiful thing about grace is it removes the spirit of fear. I don't want you to be afraid. I'm not here to bring up the past. I'm not here to rub it in your face. I'm not going to bring up anything you've done. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to think about what your granddad did, what you've done, where you've been hiding, or what you've done. Notice what he says. Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan. Jonathan was his father. For your father's sake. The third thing that grace does, and I will restore. Everyone say restore. He first deals with the fear, then he restores the land. Now, in the Bible, do you know what the land represents? The land represents purpose. Everyone say purpose. When you had land, it represented your sense of wealth, but it represented purpose. God gives a purpose. I'm restoring purpose to you, Mephibosheth. And the last thing is this. I'm going to develop this next week. Four times. Four times. David says this. You'll find it in verse 7, 10, 11, and 13. Four times David says, From now on, you are going to eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Here's this guy who was an orphan. A victim. A vagabond. On the east side of Jordan were the enemy. He wouldn't even dwell among his own people because of fear of being found out. But David says four times, Mephibosheth, Ziba is going to till your ground. By the way, do you know that Mephibosheth was lame on both feet? He was a true victim. Because when the Philistines were coming in, when he was a baby, the Bible says the nurse picked Mephibosheth up. He was a baby. But as she was running, the Bible says two chapters previous, if you go back in Second Samuel 
uh, or I'm sorry, it's back in 1 Samuel chapter 27, 26 in there. It says, as the nurse picked up Mephibosheth and she was running because the Philistines were coming, it says she dropped him and he was lame on both feet. That means he could never walk. Here's a guy out of the house of Saul, means a bad influence, bad reputation, lame at both feet, a true victim. Victimized because someone else dropped him. Have you, has anybody else ever dropped you? Have you ever felt like someone that was carrying you, maybe when you were young, they dropped you and you've never been able to function ever since? That was Mephibosheth. Never been able to think. Never been able to really walk for yourself. But David brings him in, irregardless of the handicap, and says, from now on, Mephibosheth, you're going to eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Four times. I love the way that David emphasizes that because that's the heart of God. God is saying, I want you to know, doesn't matter whose grandson you are. It doesn't matter whose son or daughter. I'm going to break this curse by reminding you that you're going to eat with me at my table as one of the king's sons. David wanted that young man to know that you're like a son to me. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God. He breaks that, that orphan spirit. It breaks that victim's mindset and restores us to sonship and full fellowship. That's how we break generational curses. It's with relationship. It's with inheritance. And it's with empowering people with the spirit of honor. David honored him. David came and honored him because David himself had been honored by the Lord. How many of you want to walk in that spirit of honor this morning? Can we bow our heads this morning? I know I went through this really quick this morning. But I believe God is breaking generational curses. I believe God has some amazing plans for his people. Maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, there's been some things in my life, in my mind, that have allowed, allowed it to limit me and restrict me. And I know God has some amazing things ahead of me. But I've allowed the enemy and the lies of the enemy to hold me like Mephibosheth in the house of Mekar in Lodabar. It means without pasture, without home, without purpose. In a place where he has no identity, just living, just existing. God wants to this morning, he wants to break generational curses. And the way he breaks that is he draws you to himself. He restores the purpose. He restores fellowship. And he restores identity as a son. Maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, I know God wants to bring me to a new level, a new level of faith, a new level of vision, because God's going to use my life like he used Mephibosheth to bring change to a new generation. We serve an amazing God. I love the story. I love how David, in spite of how great he was, tremendously victorious king, very wealthy king, but yet he made time 
to search for those out of the house of Saul. It's so much the heart of Jesus. He's not interested in just building his kingdom. He's interested in reaching people. That's what Jesus is all about, is reaching you this morning. Maybe you might say, you know, Pastor, I've been held in a vice. I've been held like Mephibosheth in a place of fear. I know God has much more than where I've been. I just need to learn to let go of these things. I need to learn to embrace fresh vision. That's you this morning. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. See your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? I've been just held with fear this morning. Anyone else? Can we stand to our feet this morning? Let's all stand to our feet. Amen. Let's take each other by the hand, shall we? Just take your neighbor by the hand. We serve an awesome God, don't we? Serve a great God. And you know He values you. And He's saying this today. He's saying, is there any? Is there any of the house of Saul? The house of Saul was the place, again, place of defeat. House of Saul had to do with people that could not change their circumstances. They feel victimized by the past. Yet the Holy Spirit is coming today, and He's reaching out, and He says this, Come unto me, all ye that heavy laden, labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Father, we thank you for the hands that were raised this morning. Lord, you know the issues of the heart. Father, we thank you for the anointing on the word. We thank you, Lord, that you come to quicken us. Lord, you come to raise us with your mighty power. We ask you, Lord, for strength and insight. Lord, bless us the rest of this day. Go with us, anoint us afresh. Lord, as you empower us, Lord, to empower others. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Turn to someone, give them a hug, bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. If any of you like prayer this morning, I'd love to pray with you down here at the altar. Be blessed and have a great day.